0: Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com, and the show in which people share their stories. This is the Survivor Special, where survivors of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse come forward to share their experiences, and thereby raising awareness and preventing the likelihood of it happening again. No further research has been done into these stories. This episode is intended for mature audiences and listener discretion is advised. Names have been changed to provide some privacy to our dear guests sharing their vulnerable and personal experiences. I am Francisca, and you are listening to the No More Silence segment on The Francisca Show. Welcome, everyone, to another No More Silence episode of The Francisca Show. Today, we have a live episode with a survivor who is kindly being open about this and public with his name and face and... Thank you for everyone joining us today, or watching the replay, and we'll get started here. So welcome to the show, Penny. We really appreciate you coming on.
1: And- Thank you very much.
0: And we'll start right the way we start with every episode. Feel free to start wherever you feel the story begins for you and feel free to include whichever details you find relevant. And the mic is yours.
1: Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, it's an honor, actually, to, uh, to share my personal story live. Because in reality, it's not my personal story. It's unfortunately a story of uh, far too many. Um, the reason I am live, not anonymous, and I'm doing it already since uh, 2008, is because i think awareness is very important um being out there for such a long time i can say we are light years ahead from where we were only a decade ago um even only a year ago or two years ago but we still have a very long way to go we have uh, a lot to do so that's why i came live um and whenever i have have opportunity um basically let me introduce myself my name is uh Penny uh, Taub. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in a very Hasidic community. Um, um, I'll begin with my story. I'm not going to share all the details, um, but it's just basically what I feel is important for people to relate. For others, if any survivors are listening, they should know that I, I did went through. I did go through. Uh, no, I have a horror story, and I survived. That's the key. I say you can survive, it's possible, it's hard work, but um, and anyone can get there. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, like I said before, and Williamsburg, to be specific, I'm a Willie boy um, in a very family. I lost my mother right before my bar Mitzvah, actually a couple of weeks before my bar Mitzvah. And, um, I don't have to elaborate on that. <laughs> what does that mean? Some can relate, some can't relate uh, to that. Um, of course, I needed attention because of that. Um, I went through whatever anybody who's a parent uh, goes through. Um, I went to Yeshiva just like any other boy. Um, I went to Israel for a couple of months and then I came back to Yeshiva in Brooklyn and Bar Park, i um, be there. I started up um, just like any other kid. Um, But in that yeshiva, there was uh, one rabbi. um, Rabbi, monster. But uh, it's a typical textbook. He was really charming. He was the one who took care of everyone, all the problems. He right away picked me up because of a use of an orphan, whatever, so he right away gave me all the love and attention, whatever I needed it. And um, basically put took me under his wing and I loved the attention, I loved the affection and everything. Um, he did a lot of things that wasn't um, appropriate to begin with, but uh, honestly there was no awareness then. I certainly wasn't aware of any signs, anything to be suspicious about. But um, um, I wasn't very studious either, um, especially at that point. Um, anyway, so he was um, my Rebbe for a few hours in the morning. So in the afternoon, he used to take me home many times. And that started pretty in the beginning. I was in Israel, I would say in November. Um, in December, I was already back in Brooklyn. So I started the yeshiva over there actually late, but I started in December. And that's when I got into the yeshiva. In January, that was around Hanukkah time, um, maybe even before, um, he started taking me home, and that was in 1991. Um, 1990, actually. Um, And he had a computer at home, which he let me play, and he showed me around the computer. We're talking about 1990. And whoever is familiar, I don't know your audience, who are watching or going to watch, but whoever is familiar from Windsor Bar, Park City Community, um, I don't know if there was a minion who had a computer at home. <laughs> so it really was a dream for me. Um, he, right away, he took me around whenever he went shopping. I went with him. Um, he was a chain smoker. So he actually taught me to smoke and he bought me cigarettes. He didn't give me a cigarette here and there. He actually bought me boxes of cigarettes she always have cigarettes, so there was a lot of telltale signs. It's very important why I'm mentioning these details because it's all signs of, um, I think it's called the grooming or whatever you want to uh, call it. Um, all um, things that he shouldn't have done, anyway. Um, but everything was regular besides all the illegal stuff and all the irregular stuff. There was nothing that, um anyway. Um, one day when I was at home with him, um, he, the way we were set up, I was just standing in uh, the computer room. It's uh, kind of like a little study next to the dining room. Um, I was standing and we was he we used to smoke at home, so we both smoked. Anyway, he walked by and he walked by a little too close for comfort, um, with his hand it was not appropriate and I don't have to get into details. Um, I pushed them away right away. For me, different from different survivors, and everyone is the same thing. It's just the details are different. Um, Anyone listening, I I had a lot of times, happens to you later in the story, uh, you'll see. It it, it could be very graphic, very violent. And when I speak to survivors that tell me, I don't know why I'm going through such a hard time, I, I didn't go through remotely what you went through, but it's not true or uh, once someone is violated, it doesn't make make a difference in the details. So uh, anyway, um, he touched on it's inappropriate, I pushed him away. Either he got the message, but uh, anyway, like five minutes later, it happened again. Like this, like a couple of times in that fifty minute uh, period. Um, I wasn't sure, really, um, if it was really a mistake, or he meant something. Because I never heard of it, never knew about it, um this was totally totally strange to me, but I really wasn't comfortable without any education this is something i was really I wasn't a little kid, I was uh, fourteen years old uh, at the time so um I, I knew it was wrong um but anyway, I wasn't comfortable so after the a couple of times I don't know how the number, but uh, after a couple of times, I outright told them. I told him, I don't know what you want from me, but um, you're certainly not getting to me and I don't want it. We were very close friends, so I I was able to say it very openly. Um, He apologized. Um, He said, no, it didn't mean anything anyway. He apologized a little bit. Um, It happened again a couple of days later. It happened again. At that time, I knew right away that um, he means business. So at that time, I outright told him, this is not appropriate. I didn't know why it's not appropriate, but it wasn't appropriate for me, at least. Um, And uh, you're not going to get anything from me. Um, You better back off and uh, we can do anything. I mean, let's hang out. Let's do whatever we did till now. But, um, you know, you're not uh, getting into whatever. Uh, Anyway, like three weeks later or four weeks later, um, that's when the first real encounter was. Um, It was the same thing we were in the study room. Most of the time we spent time in the study room. It's like a wall full of windows, like four windows to the street. So we are able to smoke over there. Um, um, So um, when I was there, like a couple of weeks later, um, at some point out of nowhere, he just grabbed me and picked me up like full force and schlepped me across the dining room. Uh, I would say it's like uh, 12 feet away from where uh, I was standing, and pushing onto the couch, and um, that that was a struggle. I'm not going to get into details. I'll leave it up to the imagination because um, it's it's too graphic uh, for a show, and it's too explicit, and also. The story is triggering enough, and I'm not going to get into the violent part of it because he was not only a sexual abuser; he was uh, narcissistic. He was uh, it was really a violent episode, um, and I'm going to stop right here regarding this encounter. It was very, 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 very violent. Um, I'll come back to it actually, how um, how it ended. The very important part, of what I missed out, is leading up to it. Because this is a story that happens to too many, and whoever didn't go through abuse, and hopefully most of the listeners didn't go through abuse, so they don't understand it. Um, people always ask, if you were old enough, I'm not talking about a seven-year-old, but if you're a 14-year-old, even a 17 or 18-year-old, or whether it's a boy or a girl, um, something inappropriate happens, especially when it's violent or unwillingly. I'm not just talking about willingly, uh, unwillingly. How did it get to that point? Why did you allow? How or her? Um, how did this happen? It's, um, it's very important to talk about the grooming process. How he groomed me into trusting. At the end of the day, I didn't trust him when it came to uh, sexuality, but um, how he tried for me to trust him. Um, like I mentioned before, um, I grew up in a very Hasidic home and lost my mother. And because of that, um, there was a lot of stress in my family. We were nine kids. Um, we had seven sisters uh, and one brother. Um, so my father was also, he was overwhelmed. Um, he was overwhelmed with uh, with entire background. It was, um, my mother had cancer for three and a half years um, and dealing with the kids and dealing with everything that was going on. So there was rift between me and my father he was always loving but he was strict i mean many people can relate never abusive and this monster he picked up on it so he before even he took me home um he spoke to me about it and he always comforted me but not only comforted me he basically he went on my side and and encouraged me to hate my father as i'm saying to hate my father and siblings. Um, Basically, he let me know and he made me understand that my father really has no love for me and my siblings don't care about me. That's why uh, they act to me the way they act. I would didn't act uh, so bad or whatever. uh, It was a back and forth. Um, He even went as far as telling me stories how my father was uh, in yeshiva, a lot of uh, bad stuff. My father, just to those who understand, he's from, as uh, some say, Chanyak, who's always those uh, holy, holy, uh, holy person. There's no stories. He, and honestly, he, he didn't know my father. Had no clue. My father, total different age. My father is much older. Um, but for me, it was convenient to believe. I loved it. And uh, this guy was really my savior. He He really saved me. I didn't know and what bad shape at home I am until he came into my life. So he really, really liberated me from, if I felt bad up until now, I felt even worse after that. But at least I had someone who uh, I could look up to and turn to. Um, Anyway, now back to that story. Um, Anyway, over there on the couch, it it took a couple of minutes, this uh, violent um, episode. Um, fast forward I left from there with torn pants and injuries and I'm talking about physical injuries forget about the emotional scars Um, I had fist marks on my face I had choke marks on my neck for more than a week Um, it was horrific and I had to go back to Wednesday and going back to Yeshiva was not a question but I ran out of the house um, telling myself I'm never returning but this was something I don't even know whom to tell and how to tell it. It wasn't an option of telling anyone because I wasn't. I wasn't going to tell anyone about it. Um, this was too strange. I never heard of uh, sexual abuse, never heard of rape at that point. I never heard of anything sexual, even consensual sex. I mean, I never heard. That was something totally strange to me, um, especially the violence. It was a shock. I really froze. But anyway, I had no choice, no money, no nothing. They only the a couple of dollars for the Williamsburg Park bus to go back. So. You can imagine how I looked on that bus and the looks that I got. Um, What people thought, I had no idea. I cannot go back to that. Anyway, I ran home. No one was home, thank God. It was the middle of the day. So I ran home. I changed. I ran to the clothing store, actually, and I bought myself new pants. It took a couple of days until I got it, but I used a different one. Um, Anyway, from there, um, I decided I'm never returning to him. But the the next couple of days, it was very, very horrible for me. Forget about the whole tra- traumatic event that happened then. Um, at that point, I knew already that my house is not a safe home. Um, they all hate me. Um, no one loves me. And the only person that really do loves me, and I still believe that he really, really loves me, the only person who's taking care of me and is giving me all the needs, the so it took a couple of days. He sent messages with other boys from yeshiva. Uh, he sent messages for me to come back. He needs to talk to me, needs to talk to me. After a couple of days, I was lost. I mean, I had no choice. Not because uh, he wanted me to talk to him, because I needed him. I really needed him at that point. So I went back to him. And again, just like a couple of weeks before, I made it very clear that um, this cannot go on. And he really apologized and he explained to me about um, urges and about uh, sexuality. Anyway, he apologized. It's never going to happen. He promised me. A couple of weeks later, it happened again. And uh, this happened a couple of times. And every time, um, every time it happened, again, I ran away. And it took a couple of times until I went back. Um, it started in January, as I said before. I'm going to fast forward uh, till uh, summer camp, because that's where. The real story happened when we talk about sexual abuse, that's only one part of the story. and to a certain extent, it's maybe the smallest part of the story of uh, most survivors can relate to that. Um, why it takes so long for the PTSD and everything uh, that's about silencing, uh, even when you can reach out to someone you're not believed or being afraid of not being believed and that's the story of can. Um, anyway. I went to sleep awake, summer camp with the yeshiva. Um, over there in camp, it also had happened a couple of times. And camp also, we used to go out, um, which was a no-no. But uh, me and him, I guess he protected me from the uh, from the yeshiva that I shouldn't get in uh, trouble or whatever. Because he was kind of, he was taking care of me. Um, in the middle of camp, I have no idea how, but there was another rabbi over there. He picked up on it. Or someone—I have my suspicion that I told someone something, and whatever the story was, which I still don't know—he um, called me one night to um, to his uh, bungalow, and he wanted to talk to me. And uh, that really uh, right now, I told the story ten years ago for the first time publicly, um, and I never named him. Uh, my monster did the name the Templar, but uh, him I never ma- um, uh, named because um, he's an angel. And really is. Um, he is somebody who is loving. He, um, he's a really, he's a model, 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 Rebbe, mentor, um, everything, uh, the, every good title. Um, but he certainly made a big mistake then. Anyway, um, he called me over and he, uh, basically he went right to the point. He told me, is there anything going on between you and Lita? Um first i I had my suspicions right away what he meant and why he's asking, but uh I told him I have no idea what you're talking about. anyone, and he went in, is there any relationship or something? Is there anything inappropriate going on or whatever? um I denied everything. I have no clue what you're talking about and, uh, uh, this went on a couple of minutes, and he was pushing hard, it very loving, but he was pushing very, very hard. At some point, I realized he's not questioning me, he knows. Um, He definitely knows, or knows something at least. So, at the end, I admitted somewhat, Um, yes, there was something going on. It was a long time ago and it's not going on anymore. And he promised me uh, nothing is going to go on. I didn't talk about the violence, about uh, anything. I didn't go into detail. I made him promise that he's not going to get me in trouble, but he's not going to get um, Leila in trouble. Um, I told him I don't want him to get in trouble. This is an old story, happened once, and uh, I, I don't want it to. Um, I don't want anyone to get in trouble, and uh, let's put it behind uh, behind. It. Told me no problem. I just need to know, just in case, if it happens again, or if I hear it from someone else, I need to know how to respond. Um, and he gave me a lot of chiz that night, uh, also. Um, the reason why is one thing i didn 't want to get in trouble. I really felt the be in trouble, um, but I really wanted to protect him while i wasn 't comfortable with the episodes on the other hand, I really felt he 's my protector, so I really did not I was afraid he's going to get in trouble more than the trouble that I was going to get into um, anyway, so that was that that night. Um, I left very confused from there, but um, it it happened, and it was what it was. The next day, the next day was uh, evening time, and almost like every day, I went out with Felipe from camp, off Camp grounds with his car. We drove out, did some shopping. On the way back from camp, I guess he was confronted. Even though I made him promise, he did the, the, that other Rebbe he did the responsible thing, or someone from staff, maybe the higher-ups, um, they must have confronted him. He pulled them in, in an abandoned driveway off the road somewhere uh, over there in the country. Uh, he pulled me out of the car, and he told me, um, I'm not asking, I'm not discussing it, but when we go back to camp, you go back to that ready and you are going to the story you told him last night. I was shocked, I was blown away. Um, even though I knew right away that he knows. How? I have no idea, but uh, I knew that he knows. Um, I denied it. I have no idea what you're talking about. What am I? What do I have to weekend? What do I have to call back? Whom did I talk to? I know, you know what I'm talking about anyway. And I kept on denying it. It was the only thing I was able to do, even though I knew I was lying in his face. But, uh, and he's not believing me because he, he's not asking me a suspicious. Uh, he has some kind of suspicion. It's only the night before um, anyway, at some point, he became violent. Um, he beat me just a, a little bit, but he threatened me. That I promise you I'm going to kill you if you don't care, you can the story. It's your responsibility for my showing and bias. And uh, he threatened me, and he beat me. Um, I had no choice. I told him I'm sorry, and I'm going to go to him right away. So at that point, he let me back into his car, and I went back to camp. Uh, from camp, I went right away from his car and I went back to that uh, Rabbi's bungalow. It was probably ready by nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. And he opened the door. Um, I told him right away. I told him last night. We had a, we had a conversation last night. Um, it's uh, whatever I said is not true. I had no choice. Um, um, and that I had no choice. I made up the story. We had some kind of rift. I don't know from where you heard it. I must have told it to someone. That's because I had a rift with him at one point and I made up the story, but it's not true. Um, first, he didn't believe me. But um, after a minute or so, it, it wasn't much talking um, that he must have believed my second story. Maybe the first story was too shocking. He, he gave me a yelling. He was yelling at me. How can you do such a thing? And, and he told me everything regarding Sean Bice, Lush and horror. Um, and the responsibility and the consequence that that person can suffer from spreading such a rumor and everything. Um, it, it was horrible. Anyway, and it ended. I left from there shattered. I, I really, I felt like um, I, there's no really words how I can describe that feeling, uh, leaving from there. Um, I wasn't going to tell anyone, but I did already. Um, I wasn't thinking of him saving me because it was still confusing. The entire thing was still confusing to me. I still never heard of anyone going through what I went through. Um, but I was in a very, very bad place. The only person that I love, I have a problem with, and it's a major, major, major problem, a traumatic problem. Um, and, and finally, when I did say someone, at least believe me, I'm a liar also. It's not only I'm going through what I'm going through, but I'm I'm a liar. And I was afraid of the consequences, what's gonna happen later. But it's more the, I felt subhuman at that point. I don't know, my humanity just uh, left me. Um, I I don't even remember that night, uh, what happened later. If I was able to fall asleep, if I just fell asleep, if I didn't sleep all night. One thing I know, it was the worst day of my life, the next 24 hours. Next 24 hours was horrible. Um Anyway, by the next night, I couldn't take it anymore. I literally could not take it anymore. Um, I couldn't live with myself. I went back to him again. So that's for the third night, third night in a row. Night number three. I went back to him. I thought, I'm sorry for playing yo-yo with you. The first story was true. I made you promise me that you're not going to tell anyone. and No one is going to get into trouble. And you did tell someone. I was forced to weaken the story, but it was true, but I wanted to stay that way. The story is true, I wasn't lying, but please, end the story. This is an old story, and uh, that's it. Uh, but he didn't believe me anymore. Um, he didn't believe me anymore. He yelled at me maybe worse than the night before. Um, it was terrible. I left from there, and this night I didn't cry. The night before, I cried ter- terribly. But this night, I mean, I had no tears. I, I just, um, I, I was really frozen. So from there I left, I had many plans. I'm going to execute it. I'm going to be Shiva. I'm, I'm not going to be from anymore. I'm, I had so many um, fantasies. But anyway, I just left, and it is what it is. Another episode of my life. Um, uh, anyway, summer ended was another couple of weeks of horror in, in uh, camp, and uh, that was it, after camp. After camp is another thing that many survivors go through. Um, I did not return to yeshiva. When I came home, I my father was shocked. He asked me when yeshiva starts, and I told him there's no yeshiva for me. And I think of it, I was 15 years old. And um, especially in the Chzidish neighborhood, but even in the yeshivish and other neighborhoods, um, boys out of yeshiva wasn't as popular as today. Uh, it was really, really a very uh, a very foreign uh, thought. Um, so he was really lost. And he also knew whom to turn to, to that monster. So he called him right away. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened at camp, but he doesn't want to go back to yeshiva and you're the only one who can save the day. So you got to do something. In a couple of days... He got me into yeshiva out of uh, the country in London. Um, it's impossible at that point to get into any yeshiva, no matter how much money you have. Uh, no one accepts you as it is, even when you're a good student. And uh, our yeshivas. But at that point, um, uh, I don't know how he did it. But he found it's some place where even if I talk, it's in a different country. And uh, there was no internet at that, uh, that point. I mean, for 29 30 minutes free, you got from AOL with uh, the Soviet dialogue. Um, anyway, so uh, he got me into uh, London issue um, That was, I went after Sukkis. Uh, the last encounter, after camp, I didn't want to meet him anymore. I mean, I decided, I'm not. Gonna, as soon as I left camp, I wasn't going to meet him anymore. I had one episode during Sukkis that my father called him. So he ran over to Winswick and picked me up, so I had one more encounter, and that was truly, truly horrific. It was in the car. Um, I'm not gonna say what he did to me, but just to give you an idea how violent it was, I tore up the rear view mirror from the window, and I broke the signal bar in the car. I mean, that's how violent it was. Um, Just trying to get away. Um, Anyway. And from there on, I didn't see um, This is basically the story of the abuse, which was around 10 months, um, my story. Um, the horror, what a victim is gone through. Um, and this is what people, anybody listening, have to understand. The story is very traumatic. It makes it an unbelievable book. It makes an unbelievable movie. But this is the best part of the story. It's not the best part of the story, but that's only a minor part of the story. The big story is, is after that. The life that you continue or can't continue, can't move on with life. And it looks very peachy keen from the outside. I left Yeshiva. I was always Mr. Popular. That, that was with me. I never liked friends, Um, I was very social, all the time till today, Um, even the other yeshiva I didn't, um, I was kind of a rebel over there, but for some reason I found um, everyone liked me, including the staff, so that was never a problem, but the inside I had a major, major struggle, which I didn't uh, didn't understand then. Um, I always say this happened, it ended when I was 15, and by the 16, I wasn't 16 and a I wasn't in yeshiva anymore. When I came back from London after um, a year, not even a full year, um, I didn't return. I, I was uh, registered over here in the yeshiva, which I went a couple of times, but I dropped out uh, very soon. Um, if someone would ask me when I was 18, a couple of years later, I know why you are like that because I know the story and you're a victim, I would punch that person in the face. I had no idea what you're talking about and I really mean it. I never ever related it. And these are struggles inside that people from the outside don't see. Um, and at this this moves on a life. I got married very young, by almost 21, when I was uh, 20 and a half, I got married. So I had a beautiful life. I had a kid a day later, I moved on, on a life. But I went through so much nightmares, and truly nightmares, sweats and screaming and yelling, um, anxiety. And I still, I, ne- I didn't relate it. I never related to my past. Um, um, anxiety, anxiety attacks, full-blown anxiety attacks. Meaning I was taken to the hospital many times, um, thinking at least the first responders, for uh, two times for a stroke, seizure. I mean, that's the symptoms of the attacks were so bad, and this is the life basically that many, many, many victims go through. Everyone has their their way, their um, call it surviving mechanism. Um, Next up, the others who go through thank God I didn't go through that is the self harm, um, a cutting, um, other kind of episodes. Anyway, I continued on this life until um, around thirty one, thirty two. Uh, When I had uh, my kid was older happens to be the years in between in my 20s There was a couple of episodes that I bumped into that monster and I always had a Explosive uh, episode I always attacked him beat him up on the street and I am whoever knows me. It's absolutely not my character and I didn't understand it. I knew why I'm doing it. I knew who was there, but it's when I saw him Basically, I went into tunnel vision Everything went dark, I didn't see anything around me. It was me and him, anyway. um, When I was 33, uh, 32, 33, um, my oldest son was before the And for some reason, that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, uh, He's going into the age where I was abused and I really didn't know how to respond to that. Uh, how am I continuing on with him? Am I sending him into yeshiva? These guys are monsters. I, I really didn't know how, and I couldn't make sense of anything. Uh, that's when I started becoming suicidal. Um, I would say for a year and a half, I was suicidal. And from the outside, I was working regularly. I partied. I had the most fun. And sure, I had, I'm, I was the one who had to be shot during the evening. I mean, I was the most fun uh, person, but... Uh, the struggles from within was unbearable. Until one Friday and a Friday night, um, I made the ultimate decision that I had to check out. Um, it was horrible. I, I remember in school was just like any other time, joking around, having fun. I didn't go to that. I went to just socialize and have fun. Um, anyway, but I came home. I collapsed during the meal. Uh, literally, I, I saw my kids. I saw them as victims. Suddenly they were molested already. I mean, uh, even though I had no story, nothing. I I just, everything was, uh, in the middle of the meal, I went to bed. Um, I couldn't fall asleep till a couple of hours, till at some point I fell asleep and I woke up with a very violent dream. I don't remember what, but it was a violent, uh, I woke up violently. Um, um, I can't say I was conscious, but. I just, I turned to, I have painkillers from, uh, from back then that I had a long time ago. And I still like oxycodone because I took maybe three times uh, the painkillers. Never used it, never addicted to it. Um, anyway, but I knew I had it at that point. Um, anyway, I turned to that anti I swallowed some of it Friday night. I had a suicide letter that I wrote um, a long time before. was sitting on my computer. I send it out to someone, uh, that was Friday night. And just to remind you, I just I went to the computer right before, I just, uh, I sent it to a friend of mine, my uh, suicide letter. And um, I uh, swallowed uh, around 10 uh, axes and, uh, and vodka. Um, it took a couple of minutes from, I, I started feeling a little uh, woozy and tingly. And I immediately—that's when I really woke up, and I saw right away that I—I I made a terrible mistake. I called up a friend of mine, a medic, and I told him that I did something. I didn't tell him what. I told him you have to come over immediately, or there will no, there won't be a need for you to ever come over to me. Anyway, he came over right away. He saw what's going on. He called back or whatever, and they took me into the hospital. Um, I went through detox. Thank God I wasn't uh, psyched, but I was in the hospital for uh, around the day for observation. I was detoxed. I was really horrible. Um, they spoke to me. Um, but anyway, but after after that, episode, that was the last episode for me. I'm talking about big episodes from my bad life, from my dark side. I walked out of there. I made a decision. I really made a decision right then and there. That at that point, I was searching already online for the last year and a half or two years um, regarding sexual abuse, regarding victims, regarding all kind of uh, these things. So I knew about it. I was already aware of where I'm standing. Um, I made a decision that I'm going to, uh, I'm going to seek help and, uh, and I'm going to speak about it. That was really my decision and that was still in the hospital, in the ER.
0: I am a survivor
1: and I'm going to be a survivor from here on. And that's where I am today. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it was um, it was a horrible story, but on the other hand, it was a blessing because since then I did speak out. I was in therapy for a very, very, very long time. I actually started therapy before I attempted suicide, but I checked out very early. I was for three months, and I felt everything made sense. It was the first time the way I got into therapy is a separate story, which I'm not going to elaborate. Um but I felt i 'm healthy enough. I was very angry at the community. I was very angry at the silence, so that 's why I checked out because I'm, I, I saw myself as healthy as uh, I saw myself as a survivor i but was I mistaken and uh, anyway that 's why I had this major relapse so soon but from there um i I did speak out. I was the first one who actually um, was the first one who actually spoke out in the community, uh, publicly. Um, and through that, I had many victims who came to me for help and I was and be able, uh, able to uh, help a lot of victims. Besides that it's healing for me, um, a lot of victims went for help and it helped a lot of people. So that's why I encourage I don't tell people to go out and talk. It, it takes a tremendous toll. And you really have to be ready. But for those who have the strength to do it, or at least talk to someone, share your story and, and uh, help someone else. It's very healing. It's part of therapy. But the first thing is take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. It's very important. Very, very important.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. We have a few more minutes. I would like to ask a couple of follow-up questions. I also wanted to um, say my deepest condolences for losing your mother at such a young age. And, you know, that's just a heartbreaking beginning to your story. Um, So just this pops out at me, but. Um, when you you said you were so violently attacked and you had like fist black and blue marks probably and what what did the people around you say or you know wasn't something clearly off what didn't that set off any red flags?
1: Um, yes, there were actually a few people, but I'm saying only a few, a few. A lot of people saw it and they didn't want to get involved. And maybe this child abuse at home. There were certainly not allowed to get involved. Um, maybe a fight with someone else, um, and no one asked questions, but there were very few people that did ask what happened to you. And I told different stories. I gave different stories. If I remember correctly, I even told someone that my father had me. Um, but I, my most common story, it's only a few people, but the most I used was uh, fighting with uh, some neighbors in the yeshiza. Um, yeah, that, that was... Uh, that was that, but no, people did not ask. People did not ask, and that's also it's a very, very important lesson. You don't have to see black and blue marks, and this really goes to educators. Um, most abuse do not happen in the school setting. Far too many happened, but most happened at home. And uh, educators, whether it's a teacher, a principal, a counselor, a social worker, um, you are the ones who really can pick up the signs, whether it's in the way kid acts or sometimes physical signs and yes speak up if you don't have the courage or you really don't know how to handle it reach out to someone but do something
0: and i'd like to ask about it's a unique story that you stayed you know in the community and you got married like everything kicked in much later on as you mentioned so i you might not want to bring your wife into the story But what was that dynamic like when everything just popped out? You were already in a committed relationship, living, you know, the life you were raised to live in. How did that affect things?
1: Um, My wife was very, very supportive. She found out before. I didn't speak in the the beginning. She didn't know about it. Uh, But she did at some point. I don't remember how, but at some point it did come up and we did speak about it. She was always very, very supportive. Um, I will just shoot it out there without anything else uh, because I don't want to schlep in anyone into the story. Um, But everyone suffered. Everyone suffered. My wife, my kids, work, job. Everyone suffered in some way, in some emotional way alone going. Yes, of course.
0: And it it sounds like you have been an extremely strong person in terms of holding it in for so many years. And then the breaking part was, you know, the the trauma hitting when your children were hitting that same age, when you were the age you were when your abuse began. So um, did you talk to your children about the things you wish people were would have talked talk to you when you were growing up? Did you bring awareness into their lives? I know it's, it might not be so common, but have you implemented things into your family, into your, the upbringing of your family?
1: Yes, but only after this whole story. I didn't, uh, like I said, awareness wasn't there. I, did, I never saw myself as a victim. Even when it started making sense, I still did not see it on me that I am one of uh, those. Um, Yes, I did see a victim as very, very very weak. Um, Just like too many, that's why I understand, and that's why I feel awareness is so important. Me, as a victim, and I'm saying it live, and people are gonna watch later, and on the podcast, uh, listen to this. Me, as a victim. And I wasn't a victim as a baby, as a seven-year-old. That was when I was 15, when I was 23, When I was 26, when I was 29, I also thought a victim is weak and there is something wrong with a victim. No, there is nothing wrong. Can anybody who is a victim reach out for help? Because the first phone call that you make, whether it's a mental health professional or a trusting adult, you should know you are already a survivor. Once you open your mouth and you share you are, yes, you have a long way to go. I still get triggered today. I, Baruch Hashem, my life is great right now. And I still get triggered. Don't beat yourself up. Just please, please, please. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a rabbi. I'm not an educator. I am a survivor. From a survivor to a, I'm calling you survivors, all of you, if you never reached out. From a survivor to survivor, please, 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 please do it to you, do it to your loved ones reach out to someone.
0: Yeah. And one more question. It's really a double question. But is, is this monster, Rebbe, still around? Is he still around children? Um, was there anything done about it?
1: Um, no. He was actually fired. I never got the truth of it. He was fired mid-year from that yeshiva, the following on the air. He got a job in a different yeshiva. He was fired mid-year. He got a job in another yeshiva. That happens to be that yeshiva wanted to speak to me, and when I was ready to talk to him, he didn't want to talk to me. But anyway, he was fired mid-term, that one. Um, he went on a couple of places. Then he worked not in the education system, but in educational for Russian immigrant uh, children. So he worked in... Uh, And uh, that, and over there happens to be a woman, a woman called me years later to apologize. Why shouldn't speak up when it happened to her? Because she could have saved me, but the dates came out. She was a couple of years after me. Um, But it happened multiple times. Right now, no, he doesn't have a job. He's ostracized from most places, but there was no charges filed. I actually went uh, to, um, I got connections through my help years ago, before organizations. Um, um, I had it in, in the DA's office and special victim squad and NYPD. So I did share my story with the DA just in case if something comes up. They had all the information, but uh, it was uh, past statute limitations.
0: That's horrible. And what about that Rebbe who tried to help and then ended up making matters worse for you? Emotional.
1: That's an episode for itself because I was very hurt for so many years, but I'm going to say that much. We have an unbelievable relationship. The apology wasn't an apology. That was like uh, four or five years ago. Okay. Um, he truly, truly, truly wanted to give everything from his life, and he has nothing. Um, it's, it's very interesting, but he's right now, we're very close friends. Wow. That's
0: so beautiful. Um, I'd like to wrap up with, if there was anything you can share with anyone, if you wish anything, and my question just popped out of my head. Um, well, you spoke about your advice, but I wanted to ask if there was anything you wish you knew, um, back then, or maybe during recovery or when things came up maybe through the healing process, if there's anything you can share that can be helpful to
1: other people. Um, yes, um, I think this is very important. Number one is, is um, uh, the number one I think is, is not building the hospital, it's repairing the broken bridge that people shouldn't fall in. So the awareness and education for kids Um, to know personal space and safety and all those kind of stuff, it's very, very important. But the responsibility of the adults, and I always say because many victims are hurt and they're 100% true because I also felt that way. 99% of our community, I was hurt by the community, by the entire community, and so is every other victim. Um, 99% of the community is not at fault, but everyone is responsible. The very, very, very few who are at fault, but everyone is responsible. What do I mean by that? That's why believing. This is a message for victims and for anyone who knows or will know a victim. The biggest fear, besides of the threats but let's not talk about threats, because not every, every victim is threatened. Almost every, if not every victim walks away from this traumatic event, knowing that if I am going to tell, no one will believe me. So this is something very important for victims. People do believe. You have to find don't just don't go to a party and you know explode with a story. Tell a trusting adult. But for adults you have to believe. You should still listen with open mind. Um, but you have to accept what they say, and you have to give the 100% full support, but to the victims and survivors. Yes, don't be afraid. People will believe you, I promise you. But this was the biggest fear. So he asked me um, if there was something, if I would know that, then that someone will believe me, someone will believe me. I would have, yes, I was silenced, but I should have gone again, or maybe reach out to someone else after I was silenced. And no, then there were people even then who would have believed me.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, Penny, for coming on to the show, really opening up and sharing your story. I stand by your mission to bring more awareness and education and um, support, just this basic support of one survivor to another.
1: Thank you very much.
0: If you would like to write in or request to be on the show, please do so by emailing me at franciscakay at gmail.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S-K-A-K-A-Y at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and go to iTunes and leave us a good review. With your review, the show will rank higher and help others discover the show. This Francisca Show podcast will be hosting a No More Silence special on abuse once a month. However, do check in on other weeks for the interviews with Jewish creatives. See you next time.